Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia for this Friday, May 19th in Hong Kong, Thursday, May 18th in New York. And coming up today... The S&P 500 hits a nine-month high on signs U.S. lawmakers are making progress on debt ceiling talks. Traders speculate the Fed will keep rates higher for longer as inflation remains elevated. And Alibaba is set to explore IPOs for its logistics and grocery arms while spinning off its cloud business. China, key issue on day one of G7. World leaders visit Hiroshima Memorial in symbolic gesture of unity. U.S. and Taiwan agree on trade deal. And two sides of the debt ceiling debate definitely softening. I'm Ed Baxter with Global News. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Available on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. U.S. Treasury yields rising on speculation that the Fed will need to keep interest rates higher for longer as inflation remains elevated. It comes with some commentary from two Fed officials. Now, Dallas Fed President Lori Logan said the case for a rate pause is unclear with high levels of inflation. And she said upcoming data could show that it's appropriate for the Fed to skip a meeting before acting on monetary policy, but act it might have to do. In the meantime, giving a slightly different position, Fed Governor Philip Jefferson said he's watching for any delayed effects from past rate hikes. History shows that monetary policy works with long and variable lags and that a year is not a long, long enough period for demand to feel the full effects of higher interest rates. Chair Jay Powell has an opportunity to provide more guidance on policy when, as Doug mentioned, he will be speaking at a Fed conference in Washington tomorrow. The Fed meets next on June 13th. Well, after the bell, we heard from Applied Materials. The company is expecting sales to decline in the current quarter, though not as sharply as analysts had feared. The story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Applied is the biggest maker of semiconductor making machinery. It said fiscal third quarter sales will be about $6.15 billion compared with $6.52 billion a year earlier. Analysts had estimated $5.97 billion. Makers of memory chips are struggling with a historic glut of inventory, forcing them to cut spending on equipment upgrades and new factories. That has hurt orders for companies such as Applied Materials, threatening a pandemic-era growth run. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. 
Walt Disney says it's dropping plans to relocate 2,000 California employees to its new corporate campus building in Florida. It will also close a luxury Star Wars-themed hotel at Walt Disney World. Now, this comes as the company is involved in a high-profile fight with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Tensions have been high since DeSantis signed legislation that took control of a board that oversees municipal services at Disney World. That came after Disney had publicly opposed a state law that limits the discussion of gender issues in public schools. The company has since sued. Let's get more here from Bloomberg's Chris Paul Mary. Disney sued, uh, said that the move to disband the uh, board of, of that uh, municipal district, you know, was wrong. It was retaliatory. Uh, DeSantis says he's going to, you know, fight the suit, and so things just seem to be escalating. Bob Iger recently said, you know, that it doesn't this state care about jobs? Doesn't it care about investment? And so, you know, given the you know, unpopularity of this move internally, this was sort of a no-brainer for him to just say, all right, well, we're also simultaneously sending a message to Florida. Disney did not mention the dispute with DeSantis specifically in either the hotel closing announcement or in the note to employees canceling the relocation plan. It only said that conditions had changed since a staff move to Florida was first announced about two years ago. Alibaba said it will explore initial public offerings for both its logistics and its grocery arms while at the same time spinning off its $12 billion cloud business. The story from Bloomberg's Joanne Wong. This kicks off the first phase of a much-anticipated breakup to try and revive anemic revenue growth. The spin-off of Alibaba's cloud division will happen within the next 12 months via a stock dividend distribution to shareholders. The intention is for it to become an independent publicly listed company. This announcement came after Baba reported single-digit revenue growth for the third consecutive quarter. As China's largest e-commerce company, Alibaba remains a barometer for consumer demand in the country. Its lackluster showing could be an indicator that China's recovery may be taking longer than once anticipated. For now, Alibaba will look to push cost cuts to shore up margins. Alibaba ADRs fell 5% in New York. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. And that sets up an interesting session here in Hong Kong. We'll be watching closely to see how Alibaba trades here. Well, relations between China and Australia have taken another positive step, with China announcing that imports of Australian timber will resume after two years of restrictions. Bloomberg's Paul Allen has more. China halted imports of Australian timber in 2020, a trade worth $1.1 billion at the time, saying it found pests in some shipments. That discovery, however, coincided with trade strikes against Australian coal, barley, wine and seafood. Relations between the two countries soured following Australia's call for an independent investigation into the origins of COVID-19. Since then, the government in Australia has changed, allowing for a reset of relations. China says Australian timber exporters have now satisfied the conditions of Chinese customs and what Australia's Trade Minister Don Farrell is calling a great outcome. Farrell is hopeful the rest of China's trade restrictions can be lifted this year. Paul Allen, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. And Doug, I want to ask you a question here. It's a rhetorical question. If you could answer it, uh, I'd vote for you <laughs> for president, maybe. Um, to what degree is Alibaba a key man risk story? 
Now, we know that there's been a lot of action, regulatory action and such on a lot of these tech companies. Uh, but Baba is really kind of stumbling here. It, it had a, a modest sales miss. It, it had a, a little bit of weakness in cloud revenue, the first decline ever on year-on-year terms. And I know you can explain away a lot. Uh, but it does seem like with Jack Ma out of the picture, the company has stumbled a little. And you wonder whether or not you know that's going to be the case at other Chinese tech companies. So one of the criticisms, I think, is that the company may be a little bloated and maybe it's become a little inefficient. Uh, maybe that argues for uh, some type of reorganization, which seems to be what the company is doing right now. The other thing that I wonder about is the extent to which there is a lot more competition facing this company in a way that it has had not encountered previously. Yeah, absolutely. A good example is another story we have today that Meituan will launch uh, an app in Hong Kong. And it's an example of a Chinese company wanting to do business outside Hong Kong. And it's actually killed Alibaba on the food delivery um, service business in China. It's by far number one. So that's kind of an example of that. Um, what else is really big today? Well, we've got you know a good tone to the market and another really strong day for tech. I heard you guys chatting in the previous show about uh, big tech and uh, what's happening there. I, I have an interesting point. The valuations are just getting back to the 2019 levels mm. before you had AI really sweeping through here. So think about that. Can you argue that there's a lot more room to run given that interesting um, positioning? It could be the case. And what was interesting today, Brian, we had a spike in yield and that didn't really hold back the tech group. And if you look at what the yield did, particularly on the two year in terms of creating some dollar strength, we have the dollar on a tear and a great deal of weakness as we get set for trading in Japan in the yen right now with a 138 handle. That, that's pretty hard to believe. Yeah, I mentioned that dollar strength. Uh, we'll put that to Belita Ong, who's coming up shortly, chairman of Dalton Investments, uh, and always good to have her on the program. Now it's time for global news. The G7 meetings have kicked off with the U.S. saying China will be the key issue. Ed Baxter has global news in the 960 newsroom. Yeah, right, Brian. Uh, U.S. is saying starting with geopolitical security concerns, but also competition. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby and speaking with Bloomberg's Amory Hordern says, yeah, China. The G7 leaders will absolutely spend quite a bit of time here, as you would expect they would, certainly here in Japan, talking about the challenges that the PRC represents. They will, I think, I'm, I'm convinced of it, uh, that you'll see at the end of those discussions that they'll all speak with one voice about um, about how we need to treat that particular competition, from a not just from a security perspective, from an economic perspective, from a diplomatic perspective. Kirby says G7 will represent one voice. The group expected also to turn up the heat on Russia regarding Ukraine. Meanwhile, President Biden addressing Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida. I think the quote is, we face the most, one of the most complex environments in recent history, security environments. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more. But I'm proud that the United States and Japan are facing it together. So on China, Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Hordern in Hiroshima says if there's any sticky agreement, it is there. We could see a bit more of tension between these leaders, especially between the Europeans and the United States, on how much they want to, the new vogue word is de-risk, not decouple from China. And we do know that the administration wants to put forward some sort of path about economic coercion when it comes to China and about making sure these countries are aligned on a multilateral approach. Anne-Marie says the G7 leaders going to the Hiroshima Memorial late, later in the day. Huge 
for Prime Minister Kishida. It is, of course, his hometown. China has blasted the U.S. on what it calls coercive diplomacy at the G7. U.S. and Taiwan have agreed on a trade initiative and a bid for closer ties. This is the first tangible result under an initiative announced last year. It will streamline customs, reduce wait times for trucks and vessels, and improve regulation. Some better news today from both sides on the debt ceiling talks in the U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Where we were a week ago and where we are today is a much better place because we've got the right people in the room discussing it in a very professional manner with all the knowledge and all the background from all the different leaders and what they want. I know and I can see where a deal can come together. And moderate Democratic Senator Kirsten Sinema also saying those people on both sides are great and that she's glad that they're in place. As for the issue of some kind of work requirement for some entitlements, well, on Bloomberg today, she said, sure, let's look at it. The reality is in our country, we've long had modest work requirements for some entitlement programs. And continuing those makes relevant sense. So we shall see on the PGA leaderboard. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau is uh, sitting on top. Uh, he's the only one at four under this point, and he's through his round today. Uh, followed uh, at by uh, Scheffler and Connors at three under, uh, two under, grouped up uh, Bradley, Straka, Scott, Cole, and uh, at one under, uh, Justin Sue. And we'll continue to follow that for you. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc., Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Rashad Salama. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. As mentioned, our guest is Balita Ong, chairman of Dalton Investments. Balita, we talked about dollar strength here of late and yields moving back up again. Doesn't seem to have really uh, set back the equity markets, uh, but how long can that last? Uh, it's good to be back. Um, dollar strength is, for the U.S., not a problem. It's just a problem for everybody else because of um, the potential impact on inflation. Dollar strength, in fact, helps countries that are largely exporters and uh, can boost growth for them um, through growth and exports. So it's a matter of which countries are suffering the most from inflation where it presents a bigger problem. So in the case of China, for example, for now, uh, or Japan, where inflation has been you know, at zero for decades, but is finally coming up, um, perhaps it's not such a big problem currently. But the reality is that the uh, dollar strength um, is here now and is here because of the significant, still significant, um, very significant interest rate differential. But the fact is that the uh, U.S. budget deficit is enormous, uh, and uh, that will over time put pressure on the, the strength of the dollar. Uh, that plus the um, you know geopolitical issues that really make you wonder if how much you should keep in dollars if you're uh, a country that has to be conservative about its uh, reserves. 
because given what was done with um, Russian reserves, you know, if you're a country that worries about um, having your reserves taken over by the U.S., then you might want to diversify. Belita, it's, it's quite odd, actually, because we do seem to have also the uh, um, the dollar-gold relationship uh, reinstated, that, uh, 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 should I say, um, inverse relationship that they do have. It's true. Uh, I, I personally think that uh, gold makes a logical uh, as an as a logical alternative to the dollar, given the state of the world today, and given no obvious successor to the dollar as a reserve currency. Uh, but you know, day to day fluctuations, or even week to week fluctuations, are for for me and for us at Dalton impossible to predict. And gold is not actually a area that we uh, invest in. It's just uh, not in our wheelhouse. So we noted the dollar strength along with yields popping back up again. It suggests that perhaps the bets are are in the process of getting raised a lot on whether the Fed hikes in June. Your thoughts there? I personally, I don't think the Fed will hike in June. We have seen uh, a moderation in the rhetoric from the Fed governors. Um, and we have seen significant progress in inflation from, you know, a peak of what was it, 9.1% in June until the last print was right around 5%. Uh, we've also seen some weakness in the labor numbers and in some uh, wage moderation. Uh, and clearly, the um, uh, bank failures have led to tighter credit conditions. So with all that going on, I think it makes sense for the Fed to take a pause. I mean, interest rates have gone up 5% in a year. And it does take time for that to flow through to the real economy. And we're, we are seeing the impact now. Um, you know, all this uh, depends on what happens before the June meeting. Um, if we get a further moderation of um, the inflation numbers, I think it's very likely that the Fed will hold pat for now. Uh, Belita, when you when you look at then uh, how you actually navigate all this, is there any playbook for having uh, a uh, a particular type of portfolio given where the economy is? I know every situation is unique, but uh, certainly, you know, is there anything out here with you know when you've got. Uh, uh, low unemployment, middle to high inflation, and at the same time, a rising uh, interest rate environment? So we invest one company at a time, and uh, it's based on the merits of the company. So strong balance sheets, strong cash flows, well-managed, long track record of operations. And uh, where you find all that uh, and have found it for a long time is Japan. The issue with Japan always has been that... Um, uh, you know, the Japanese companies kept cash uh, in the company and didn't give it back to shareholders. And that's caused almost a decade now of uh, corporate governance reform. But finally, with a recent announcement in January by the Tokyo Stock Exchange, putting down strict criteria and a timeline as to when Japanese companies have to improve uh, their financial ratios, we are seeing uh, a return of foreign investors into Japan. And the market, as you know, has been very strong this year up between you know, 14 and 16 percent, depending on the index you're looking at. So we're yeah. uh, bullish on Japan. <clears throat> yeah, it's the second best performer of the big markets in Asia uh, after Taiwan. Uh, and I was about ready to feed into a question about that uh, because it has popped pretty well. And we've seen that in Europe uh, uh, in relation to other uh, benchmarks. Uh, the gains are kind of already in. But you think that there's still more momentum there? We think it's a long runway because Japanese companies are still very cheap and uh, the change in behavior by management and the improvement that needs to be seen uh, is, um, you know, still uh, very far away. It's uh, it's a very long runway. So, for example, um, the Tokyo Stock Exchange, uh, one of the requirements for listing in the prime section is a focus on price to book and they're requiring price to book be more than one. Uh, and 
about half the companies that would be eligible for the prime section uh, and the main section are below one, which is astonishing when you think about it. How can it be that the Japanese market as a whole has no debt and actually has a net cash? And how can it be that so many companies trade with a price to book of below one? That just doesn't make any sense. But yet that's the way it's been for a long time. So it's a long, it's a long runway. Uh, very quickly, give us a sense of some of your top picks. Um, we like the um, uh, companies in Japan that meet, um, you know, the basic uh, requirements that uh, we have in terms of filtering um, the attractiveness of a company. But we also yeah. like companies that are in strategic spaces. So, for, ex- for instance, Rinnai is a long-term favorite of ours. It makes um, uh, envir- environmentally friendly gas heaters, uh, and it's a leader in the world in that um, uh, in that product. Uh, we like Bactica Fuji, which is not as well-known a company, but it's a pretty standard uh, sort of uh, chip distributor in Japan, but it has this wonderful growth area, uh, which is ignored, which has to do with services provided to uh, companies. So, yeah. so co- you know, companies like that are still very reasonably priced. Excellent. Thank you very much, Belita. Belita Ong, chairman of Dalton Investments. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.